0: Hey everybody, Dave Palais with Brett Boone and special guest, Brett's father, Bob Boone. Talk about the Ultimate Baseball family. It's an extreme pleasure to have Bob in studio with us today. Brett, I know we talk to guys all the time, but it's a little bit interesting having your dad here as well.
1: We got dad here. Create a lot of arguments. <laughs> how, you fe- how, how you feeling, dad?
2: I feel good. Can I- you think you can handle this?
1: I think I can probably keep up with you. Yes. We've, we've done a few together, I think, over the years. We've done this at the dinner table many, I'll tell you many what, times. Days.
2: Yes, <laughs> he's getting a little older. We take it easy.
0: Do you guys have conversations baseball? Listen, ninety nine percent of the time, or do you stay away from baseball and family, or is it just it's one and the same?
1: It's always baseball. It's always been baseball. My dad was alive at, at Thanksgiving, or you know, an Aaron would be there, and it, it was nothing but baseball. So usually it created arguments. <laughs> Brett, my dad, used to go around. My dad would defend all the older guys. And Brett was saying, no, the athletes are better. It, it was quite a war for a long time. Well, I spe-
2: I, I talk rationally. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have people constantly, you know, they'll fight you on anything. So, uh, no, but it's always been, yes, it's always been very present in our family. And uh, you know, we get Aaron in the mix, and and now he's in the analytical world, so... You know, he's not even fun to argue.
0: <laughs> it's like arguing with the computer now, right? He's, Cause
2: he... a, pa- he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> there's
1: a lot of arguments that go around us.
0: Well, Bob, let's start there. As far as, you know, your childhood with the baseball, you have a father that's a major leaguer, which I'm sure everyone in the neighborhood goes, wow, Bob's dad's a major leaguer. Then all of a sudden, you become a major leaguer as well. At that point, does it become one of those things in your mind, man, there's a lot of pressure on my kids to possibly follow in the footsteps of the family business.
1: Well, I, I, I was raised—actually, Brett and Aaron and my youngest son Matthew were raised exactly like I was raised, and that was around baseball, going to the park, uh, you know, being around famous big league players, which I think helped me. I think it helped Brett. I think it helped Aaron, <coughs> is that there wasn't the awe factor when they got to the big leagues. I wasn't awed by it. I was told by many people— hey, just because your dad played in the big leagues, that doesn't mean you're going to play in the big or help you. And it doesn't. I mean, everything is out there on the field. But there's, there's something about going into a locker room and and seeing big leaguers that you watch on TV and you can go back and say, Al Kaline babysat me when I was growing up. Wow. So, that, so that there wasn't that awe factor that I think really helped all of us in, in getting to the big leagues. And my kids were raised exactly like I was raised, exactly, and uh, everything revolved around baseball.
0: Brett, do you remember your dad taking you to the ballpark? I mean, how old were you? And remember saying, "Wait a second! Not only am I going to the ballpark, but this is an experience most most kids don't have."
2: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that till uh, till probably adulthood. I mean, when I was a kid, I was uh, I was a baseball rat. I was a if nobody wanted to play catch with me, throw the ball off the the garage door. Um, and until, until I, you know, was 18, 20, 25 years old, old enough to appreciate my childhood, I realized how special it was. It, uh, But I remember, you know, the, the the my worst nightmare was asking Dad, hey, Dad, we're going to the park early. I'm going in <laughs> with you. And him saying, Brad, tomorrow, no. You're not going to go <laughs> tomorrow. And I'd be, oh, my day was ruined. Yeah. I mean, I can't go put my uniform on and go shag and and... Probably bother all the players, but um that that's how I grew up and i I loved it I mean that was my whole world was going to the ballpark in Philadelphia. We had a really kid friendly clubhouse i I think uh dad's early managers Danny ozark uh he made it real kid friendly so i I had my own locker and my own uniform that I ordered, and I remember waiting to get my uniform in the mail and I'd ask this. <laughs> <laughs> the clubhouse guy i still remember him, kenny bush kind of a famous guy back then as far as clubhouse guys known around the league and every day i'd be like kenny my, my uniform come today <laughs> and he'd take his hat off and give you that sigh like you little kid get out of here <laughs> but um i think for all for all us kids especially i can speak for aaron um that was like our world i mean it was it was pretty awesome and, and i think you're young enough, though, where you, you don't realize how special of a time it is. It, like I said, it, until you get into adulthood and look back on your childhood and say, wow, that was pretty cool. I got to go on the float in 1980, you know, with dad the day after the World Series. And I thought that was just normal. Wow. Now I look at pictures of that and I think those are real special times that that uh, not too many people get to get to live as as kids.
0: Not at all. Even going back then, when you talk about the uniform, back in the day, a regular kid couldn't even buy an authentic Philadelphia Phillies jersey. You know, (laughs) that wasn't one of those things that Major League Baseball even offered. The fact that you had an authentic Major League Baseball jersey with your name on it was crazy. Number one, two is, you know, those were really good teams. I mean, the 77, 78 teams were playoff teams. 1980 team is a World Series team, a ton of Hall of Famers on that team. I mean, you really were around something special. When you went to school, the people didn't sit there and say, you know, what's
2: it like? I had a pretty ground or I could say they grounded me group of friends that made it like this is no big deal because your dad's Bob Boone. uh, They didn't make me feel like it was anything special. You know, they almost went, went out of their way to prove to me I wasn't a special kitten in the neighborhood. And I thought that, I thought that was pretty cool looking back on it. Cause nowadays you see, you know, we're so uh, enamored by fame and social media and likes and followers. Uh, but my buddies were just treated me like, like Brett from down the street. We got in fights and arguments like everybody else. And, and, uh, you know, I had a pretty cool childhood.
1: One of the things too, with that, that was real special is the Phillies. Danny Ozark was a manager that he let that happen. Yeah. And Brett and Aaron, were one of the first kids and usually when that starts happening, somebody screws it up <laughs> and they shut it down. but the Phillies let them go on the on the field. I, I was raised the same way and as I got older, my dad started moving to different teams um, like with the with the uh, when he was with the um, the White Sox in Chicago, I'd go in every day. I was there all summer, and uh, the uniform I had was Nellie Fox's uniform. Really? And I was kind of a big kid, and Nellie was little. And one of the big big things that went around was we were coming off the field one day, and this guy was just badgering me to get his auto, my autograph. <laughs> He's calling me <laughs> Nellie Fox. I was 11 years old. and uh, And the kids... The big thing, I said, a room to his day. If I didn't wait for them to get home from school before I went to the park, yeah, oh, there was hell to pay for me. It's like, <laughs> I tell his mom, Sue, I got to. I'm going to go in early today, and, and I'm I'm not going to be here. I'll be gone when they they get home. And they were they were. Uh, she had a tough time with them when if I left them at home, and they had a great. Uh, they were they were some of the early kids there, and and Aaron and Brett could really handle themselves in the field. Yeah. So there wasn't worry about danger as the other kids started coming that weren't as, oh yeah, as good. Athletic. Then then ownership and management starts worrying about is this guy going to get killed out <laughs> in, the, in the outfield? And they had a great they they understood how to disappear. I didn't have to tell them, but there were times when things were going on yeah. at the club that uh, these kids better not be around here right now. They knew how to read a room. <laughs> well, they, they no. knew how to run all around the stadium.
2: So. And I learned, you know, through my experience um, with going to, the, going to the park with Dad so much, uh, now all of a sudden I'm in the big leagues and I've got kids and, and Jacob – you know, was old enough to come to the ballpark with me and I'd take him down and we go to the cage for a while. But uh <laughs> as a kid you just said, Why is dad giving me a hard time? Why is he busy? Why won't he play catch with me right now? You got a lot of things <laughs> yeah. to do as a player. And I found that as an adult thinking, Wow, Jake was easy. I took him once in a while. I was that kid that had to go every day and was in the middle of the clubhouse and just a big part of it. And it's like, wow, this is this is uh this is more difficult than I thought. What's now it, I know what it's like, player to to son, because I, as a kid, you don't think, you just think, why well, doesn't dad let me do anything I want?
1: Yeah, it's a lot different now for sure. It's tougher for kids to get yeah. in there. But uh, one of the things that I always talked about is that as a as a baseball player, where you're playing every day and half the time you're gone, this was really the only time that I could see the kids yeah. and interact with them. And and I was always grateful to the Phillies for allowing me to raise my kids that way and that's way i was raised but uh all the teams didn't let you do that so for me i was very appreciative of that
0: so a couple of questions on that i imagine that the car rides there the car car ride home was great also imagine brett and aaron kind of shared your locker at the same time and and the thing is, it's your place of business. Just like Brett said, there's a lot to do. The difference is you're a catcher. you got to go over the batters, and you got to go over meetings with the starting pitcher. You have a lot of work to do before the game. Was it ever one of those where Brett and Aaron were saying, hey, Dad, have it a little bit of time with us when it's your place <laughs> of business, it's your office?
1: No, I tried to spend time with them, but it, it was that way, and it was like, no, here's the routine. We're all going to get there. We're all separate. You guys go go your own way. And go in the outfield. You get to shag today. Maybe we'll go in the cage and hit a little bit before we're here early. Uh, but it was don't bug me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they really understood that. And and uh, you know for me, I was like I say, I was so appreciative of being able to raise the kids that way, where I could be around them because it's probably one of the toughest things for for major league baseball players, where you're where you're playing every day and you're on the road half of the time. So you really miss a lot of their childhood.
0: As far as the way baseball is today, I know things change dramatically. It's funny, when you brought up the part about the uniform with Nellie Fox, I was thinking in my mind, well, how much different have the uniforms even changed? I mean, we talked about the game change, and Brett just mentioned it's hard to even have a conversation with Aaron because of, of analytics. The way right. so many baseball fans who, who don't understand analytics, who are saying, you know what? I watch 162 games on television. At the same time, I can't figure out why the best hitter in the lineup now bats in the second spot right? when he used to bat in the third or fourth spot and why guys don't steal bases or bun anymore and what's the deal with the shift. And, and things are so confusing. For you, you're still involved in Major League Baseball as a vice president with the Nationals. The Nationals. Do you understand what's going on as far as analytics and say it's a better way today or, or do you feel it takes too much power away from the manager?
1: Well, it's it's definitely I think that's why you're seeing younger managers one of the tough things is for guys Dusty Baker as an example who'd won 2000 games or whatever is that the analytics analytics people have kind of taken over and and all the stat things and all and we and the advancement in the electronics are pretty special. Uh, the analytics is tremendous. However, the the tough part is for a manager if I'm managing, don't come down to tell me what to do. Give me the analytics. Let me look at them. I love information. Yeah. More information. That's that's tremendous. <clears throat> but but to to me, the manager has to make those decisions about how you're going to utilize them. And and it's it's kind of overcoming the managers. You know, we've got to take Hill out in the, in the fourth inning, even though he's got a no-hitter going because he doesn't – the stats show that he doesn't pitch good the third time around the lineup. Um, to me, I think those kind of things <clears throat> need to be analyzed from your gut for a manager. And, and what you're seeing now is all the younger managers. Everybody's involved in it. Everybody's lifting and launching uh, so there's a lot of things when I'm around people of, of, of my era from I would say from 55 and older, and now that I'm 71. But anytime I'm around a group of guys, <clears throat> most of us are kind of kind of uh, uh, ripping on the analytics part of the game. It's like, no, why w- why wouldn't you just hit it over there? There's yes. nobody standing over there can't you hit it over there? Uh, I could hit it over there if I needed to. And and I think there's, uh, you know, for us, the game has changed so much. that, And I think for any people, my dad would be the same way. It's like, no, that's not how you play it. And uh, a lot of the analytics are proving that's the way you play it. But for me, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that all the shifts – Uh, I know, I know a lot of times when it helps you, but there's a lot of times when it's like, why isn't the shortstop standing right there where that ground ball went through? And I think it's a, it's a tough time for us old people.
0: (laughs) I think it's a tough time for baseball fans for the, for the fact last year was the first time ever there were more strikeouts than hits. And I think a lot of baseball fans don't understand why is it okay to get a base hit through the shift, but not okay to bunt against the shift.
1: Well, I think uh, a lot of things have been taken away, the hit and run, although I think the Red Sox used it to, I think, win the World Series yes. last year, uh, the bunting, uh, and the <clears throat> the era of telling people that it doesn't matter if you strike out. When I was growing up, strikeout was the worst thing you could possibly do. It's like, okay, I'm going to forego every home run because I'm going to battle this pitcher and you're not going to strike me out. and. <clears throat> for me, watching the games, I miss the old way of playing. And that may be just me. But to me, it it's like it takes a lot of the excitement, a lot of the things that a manager can do to beat this team you're playing when your pitcher's pitching really good. And to lose the hit and run, I think, is a, is is something that I miss a lot. Uh, playing for one run, you know, instead of always giving in to the – here swing as hard as you can. And this guy out here is throwing a hundred and you're swinging as hard as you can. That usually leads to a lot of strikeouts. Yeah. And, and I miss, I miss that part of the game.
0: I think a lot of baseball fans do, you know, and, and the reason I say that is for, for a person like me who's a baseball fan and there are a ton of us out there. We like to try and manage along with the manager. We like to, to watch the game just like football fans love to be the offensive coordinator. We want to say, what will we do in this situation? Where that's all kind of disappears. There's no hey, you know, I could go to well, you, you gotta, and say, Bob, in the seventh inning, why don't you bunt him over? There's well, none of that anymore. Well,
1: you've got to you've got to be on your computer more, yeah. <laughs> to, yeah, to make those judgments. But it, I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed because I guess I don't get as excited about a home run as most of the rest of the world does, and and that, a lot of that in the analytics has developed to say no, the, these fans that are coming here want to see the ball go out of the ballpark. So that's different yeah. from me. I want to see the, all the little things that happen in the game, and and you know, a lot of things. The game has changed so much. <clears throat> we're 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 kind of forced into bringing in the great, talented players uh, earlier in their careers. When you know, if I'll watch and go, he doesn't know how to play the game yet. And <clears throat> but but he needs to be here because of his skills. And I and I think for a real purist. Uh, you miss a lot of that. And there's a lot of parts of the game that are going, gosh, this game's not as exciting because I'm waiting around for somebody to hit a homer. If they don't hit a homer today, eh, I, I didn't get excited. I didn't get excited about guys walking away with striking out. I've got a lot of friends and pitchers that love the game. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, Brett, where do you find yourself? I mean, you, to me, you should have been playing in this era right here. This era seems like it's right up your alley where... You were a guy that hit a lot of home runs for for a second baseman, let alone for a guy that that would have played in a corner outfield position. It seems like if you were playing now, this game is right up your alley.
2: Well, I I think, okay, when it comes to the analytics, I think you you look at the analytics, and that's nice to have. The more uh, Dad mentioned it earlier, and he touched on the fact that we want information, we want knowledge. Um, But baseball, you can't run – a baseball team like you run Walmart. It's not bottom line. Math works for a lot of things in life, but when it comes to baseball, there's more to it than just the math. There's the psychological difference in that clubhouse amongst your teammates (coughs) from, from the best player on the team, to the 25th man on the roster. And that comes through playing together and playing the game the right way. And what I see now, I I had somebody that was really in analytics. He said, well, Brett getting the runner to the third with less than with no outs, um, doesn't make a difference in the analytical world. And I said, let me tell you how it does make a difference. If I move a runner over and whoever's hitting behind me that night hasn't driven in a run in a week and he, and he hits a sacrifice fly and drives that run in, and all of a sudden in his mind he thinks, I can drive in a yeah. run. Now all of a sudden that 25th man on the roster sitting on the bench and he watches what just happened, that trickles down. Now you've got that whole team doing that. Now you got a winning team. You create a winning atmosphere. So you can throw analytics out the window when it comes to that. Um, I don't know. I just think see it, see it being overplayed. I think it's a part. It's 2019. We've got to change with the game, without a doubt. It's getting better. It's getting more advanced. We're getting information. The training techniques are, are so much farther advanced than they were 20, 30 years ago. And I think that's all a positive thing. The analytical... You know, oh, I would be kidding a candy store right now, having an iPad, with, and I can go through every, you know, every pitcher on that team, bullpen, his last outing, his outing before that. That would be great for me, and I love that, and I think that's a, a positive, great part of the game. But when you re- solely rely on it, I think it can be to your detriment. I think the great managers now are going to be the ones that take those analytics, take the personalities in that clubhouse that they live with and, on a daily basis you know, be able to read those personalities, how to get the best out of them. Somehow put all those together. That's where you're going to see the, the next star managers come from, the guys that have that, that balance. Uh, I think you just saw a great team win the World Series. I think the best, you know, through the years, it's not always the best, most talented teams wins the World Series. I think this year the best, most talented team won it. And you watch those guys, they play the game right. They move runners they they get into a two strike stance. Yeah, they don't want to strike out. Uh, those are big things, and
0: uh, I think a lot of baseball maybe I'm fans. Getting old. No, no. I, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think the three of us are on the same page as far as I don't know how much the fan means to to sports. I mean, we all know that it's corporate dollars that that make the most amount of money. Technically, you don't need these giant stadiums to fill them with fans. The the money is. Very little to Major League Baseball, the NFL, and the NBA. When you look at just the, the ticket sales, it, it you aren't turning money away. But for people who are buying tickets or buying the Major League Baseball ticket on television and watching as many games as they can like I do, I, I I do miss it. I do miss the game that Bob's talking about, the manufacturing runs. The whole idea used to be, hey, the first two are for you, the last one's for the team. Do whatever you can not to, not to strike out. And at, at the same time, if you put the team first, your individual stats will eventually take care of themselves. Now it seems like everything's about the individual stats and the next big contract.
1: Well, I, th- I think that's, that's obviously in there. I think one of the things as a manager, and I got to manage for six years, is that your job is to get the most out of every player. And you do it in a lot of ways. One of the things you do is, is you go against sabermetrics to say, no, I'm going to let this guy pitch right here. Because if he can get him out right yep. now in this situation, the the analytics say I should take him out. But if I let him pitch and he's successful, I might have built something in him that I'm going to have for the next three months uh, in the game. And I think uh, a lot of that kind of gets wiped out because of the pressure on the manager to make that decision when it's against what the analytics yes.
2: say. Well, I think, I think, too, you have to uh... – In that clubhouse, that manager's job is to to know those players to the core. And I think, Dad, as a manager, uh, when you're going to the mound, how much do you take into account who's on the mound, who's pitching that night, as to how much trust you put in his response, whatever you ask him. I know sometimes as a manager, if I were managing, I'd come to the mound, I might ask a question that's completely... It doesn't make sense in the situation. I want to see his body language, how he reacts, and I'm going to take into account who's who's on the mound. I know this guy, I know his personality. I can tell by the way he, he reacts to my question whether I'm taking him out or I'm leaving him in. Would you do that when you were manager? Uh, yes
1: and no. I knew the players well enough, and, and that was my job. I've always felt that you had it, it wasn't about the manager being the captain and he's a leader. It, to me, managing is about having relationships with your players, and how good you can have them, so that you know them. It's very much similar to catching. I had to know every pitcher, and and have a relationship with them. And it takes time, and it takes time getting together with them, so that that I know uh, when they're re- when they're done. I always had a sign with the with the manager <laughs> that I that I had with him, like, "Hey, you better <laughs> come get him. He's, he's running you out of gas right now." But I think uh, it's, it's about having relationships with them. And when you put the stats in there, you know, you, you've seen it in football a little bit lately uh, where they're going go to the, go for the first down. Because if they get this first down, you know, this may be something that, that elevates us into winning it, even though the stats say, no, you should punt the ball away. And I think there's a lot of times when you, when you give the player – you you give him his head so yeah. to speak. Is that uh, you know a lot of good things come out. I should pinch hit for this guy right now, but you know if he can get a hit right now, I've got him. He's going to be really valuable to me the next two months. If I take him out every time this comes up, it's going to lower his his uh, his demeanor at the game. Or, well, they're taking me out again. Yeah, and I think I think that's the job of the manager. To do that, and as I say, sometimes the sabermetrics get in the way of that.
0: Do you guys watch games today? Saying you know, constantly going back in my day, he would have stayed. I, I might have the player wrong, Bob. You would know, but I think it's uh, Jeremy Hellickson. I think on on the Nationals who was dominating the first times, right. t- first two times through the lineup, <clears throat> and the third time, stat showed right. you take him out. I've watched him play yeah. so many times. I was like, God, he's so good. I can't believe they're taking him out yeah. right now. Kind of like the Dodgers did with Rich Hill in the World Series. Well, the right.
2: problem I see with that is, is this game is so mental, and it's so psychological. It, all of a sudden, you start to read into the, and you start to read your own stats. If I would have read my own stats, how I hit in a one-two count, wow, it's one-two, and I'm hitting one sixty-four. Oh, I guess, I guess I'm, I don't have a very good chance of getting a hit. I didn't want to know what I hit, yeah, one-two, or I didn't want to know where I where i hit 2-2 two, two. maybe that year i didn't have a great year at 2-2 two, two. i don't need to know i don't need to put extra stuff in my brain this game is hard enough and the mental side is at such a premium to be solid um you know i i, I just think man you can get too much in there and too much analytics you were talking about Hellickson, and and he starts reading his own stats and reading those those sabermetrics, metrics those analytics and wow, I, I don't do very good the third time around. Now, all of a sudden in the game, as soon as he flips that lineup the second time in his brain, he's thinking, oh, I'm not very good the third time around. Yeah. And that sometimes shows. Depends on the individual. Well,
1: we, and we breed that. Uh, we breed that in our players a lot in the minor leagues and development. One of the things you do is you have the, the uh, pitch count. Well, pitchers start knowing what the pitch count is, and they're, they're used to it. It's how it's going to be. And if you're a young player and early in the season, you've got 85 pitches. At 85, that manager, from orders from above, you take him out. Well, they start knowing that. So a kid may be be pitching great, and he's got a 4-1 lead, and he's in the fifth inning. He's got to get through the fifth to get the win, but he's five pitches away from having his pitch count, and we go take him out. To me, and I'm in a position – of some authority there i i get angry sometimes with that it's like no we're we're creating pitchers not there to win they're there to have a have a strong outing yeah and and uh you know i think you have to be very careful about that you want guys all the all the great pitchers now they're out there to win and they're not coming out till they win and and yet we certainly keep their pitch counts yeah. uh, the medical staff say we should do that. I'm still not sure of that either. But I
0: can't imagine you guys telling Max Scherzer when it's time to come out of a game.
1: He, you know, he's pretty good about knowing when I'm losing it. And, uh, you know, and he's as great as anybody that's come down the pike and, and, uh, that's important for him in the same way. It's like, no, you're not taking this ball away from me. And, and, uh, you know it plays in, and as I say, there's there's certainly there's certainly a lot of things that happen in the game, and I've had some pitchers that I manage. It's like he's pitching great, but I'll tell you what, he's got enough track record that when he gets to 103 pitches, you better watch him really close because his ball start stops cutting yeah. his fastball that he's been cutting, cutting, cutting. When he gets to 103, you better watch out. And I think it's one of the big things that you had to know as a manager that ability to read pitchers it's 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 something that i had you know and i got it from years and years of catching is it whoops wait a minute what happened to that pitch i better i better look at this real careful now because he's sees close and sometimes that happens at 80 pitches you know but you've got to watch and and be aware of that and i think it's a big job of the manager
0: you know i look at baseball obviously from a baseball fan you two look at it as players as as coaches, uh, as a, uh, someone who has a son and a brother who's with the New York Yankees. As a fan who loves this game, I used to love the off season when guys started changing teams. Both of you had an opportunity mm-hmm. to change teams. One thing about the NFL that makes it so successful is the only 16 games during the season, yet you talk NFL year-round outside of June 1st to about the 4th of July, and then it's NFL again. Major League Baseball, to me, from the World Series to now, it's it's been very, very quiet, especially this year. And I kind of want to ask you, is this a way things are changing? Last year, J.D. Martinez didn't sign till almost right before spring training with the Red Sox. This year, the two biggest names are Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. We're about two weeks away from spring training, they haven't made a decision on what teams they're going to, keeping other people from what teams they're gonna end up with. As guys who've had points in their career where they were gonna change teams, is Major League Baseball doing the right thing by not mandating, hey, this needs to be done by this point to keep us in the conversation? And two is, is it helpful for these guys thinking, you know what, maybe the 10-year contracts might be be over, and some of them saying, you know what, the 10-year contracts aren't over. For a guy like Machado and Harper, the two biggest names out in free agency.
1: Well, I, I, think, uh, I think that's certainly something, you know, the the whole offseason, the hot stove league season has been based on a lot of rumors. You know, the two biggest guys are Machado and Harper, and they're still out there. You know, so and, and I think for me it starts wearing on me like, okay, I'm tired of watching r- yeah. rumors or listening to the expert here and there because nobody knows except them. Yes, And it's like, well, we got we to gotta move on. One of the things the nationals are doing is we've moved on. Uh, still want Bryce, but we've moved on to a situation where we're in pretty good shape either way and we'd love Bryce to be a Washington Nash for the rest of his life, but uh, it's, it's just the way it, it has, and, and you're talking about great players that have a great effect on your team and where you end up, and, uh, you know, and they have the rights, and, and uh, I, can't, uh, I can't take that away from them. Nobody can, and I think it's just part of what we're living in, the society we're living in now, and that you, you adjust to that, and when you're old like me, you look back on what it was. <clears throat> when you're not, and we're trying to get younger and younger people involved with baseball, uh, that's that's what they have to be involved in. And and I'm sure a lot of people real recognize baseball as uh, the greatest time ever. And I think my dad thought, you no, know, the greatest time was in the. 50s for me. The greatest time was in the 70s and 80s, for Brad, it's the 90s, uh, and I think that's uh, you know any time things start changing a little bit, it's like, I, I think all of us that way. I think it's human nature that you go, no, no, it's the best days were when I played, and here's how we played, and I think that's just inherent with us, and uh, so I can't I can't really judge that. I think you know th- what I do know is there's more fans now. Yeah, and and there's more people in those seats all every day, and ultimately we have to encourage the management to make money so because they don't make money, then the players don't make exactly. money. so we have to encourage uh, whatever's happening if it's working, if it's working, that's the best thing for baseball.
0: Brett, how important was it for you to know where spring training was, where you're going to make your home, especially as a player who had a family?
2: Well, I got traded twice. And I was only a free agent one time, so um you know I didn't have this elaborate drama filled you know waiting in the free agent market, so i I really don't I, I really didn't uh witness that too often. I think too um, I think it's a market thing you know it's all not it's not like a housing market but sometimes houses are just selling every day it seems like boom another one another one another one some off seasons man the signings are left right left right wow he got that much he got that much and some are a little slower i think it's pretty rare for two two marquee players like a harper and a machado to be on the market at the same time both being that young with the potential and what everybody likes to throw out there and project what they're going to get when there's probably only four or five teams that are even in the market for that, it, with, with, their, with their home teams being two of them. So I think it's a little different this year when you've got two, big, two, two of those big ones on the market. Uh, but, it, but I found through my career, um, you know, some slow times. In 2000, after the 2001 season, man, that was a slow offseason. And none of us, you know, I remember the top free agents were sitting around, seemed like forever, to, to just get an offer. So I think it depends who you are, uh, the type of money you're looking for, the type of years you're looking for. How's the game going? What are the owners thinking? Uh, you know, are our owners pulling back? Did they just spend a lot in the last several, three, four, five years? Is it time for them to pull back a little bit? I, I don't know. Um, but I think, it. you know, next year can be a completely different animal. And you go, oh, all the signings are done. And, uh, you know, all the big names are signed early and, we're off to spring training, so I think it's year to year. But I think the market dictates it. I think uh, there's a few other things in play. I think as far as the game and how it's doing, I think it's doing great. I think social media, just like everything else, has just kind of blown. Whatever you're talking about blows it up ten times more. So I think that's been a huge part, and you know it gives the players an individual. I think each player now, what's different than from when I played and definitely when, when Dad played, was each player seems like has his own brand, his own thing, what he's about, because he can talk to the fan. He can talk to the fans from the dugout if he wants. (laughs) And I think it's kind of cool in some ways. um, In other, it's a little much because I'm kind of caught in between. Dad's kind of completely social. What is this social media? It (laughs) sounds like what my grandpa would say. Whereas I'm on the the other side where I'm just learning a little bit, but my kids are really more into it than I am. so I'm kind of in the middle, but uh, it's been a big boom and a, and a big moneymaker for a lot of people.
0: You know, it's interesting that you bring up the social media thing, because as you said, everyone has their own brand now as people who grew up, you know, in a famous family. I mean, Bobby, you were kind of dragged into it because of your dad and Brett, you were dragged into it because of your grandfather and and your father, and and you're you're still involved in it. And the old saying, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. (laughs) Well, all of our kids who have social media, they're creating their own glass house. I mean, everybody can see everything there. Forever. Forever. I mean, whether they're famous or not, or they want to be Instagram famous or anything else. I mean, I imagine both of you have to be looking at at these kids going, are you guys crazy? Do you understand what you're doing? In 10
2: years, no one will be able to run for president. (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) Because they're going to bring something up from when you were 12 yes i think there's a lot of benefits and i think a lot of cool thing and information and, and you can get man to just press a button on your phone and you, oh wow i have this information right now i don't have to look it up i don't have to go to the library there's a lot of positive things but there's there's the drawbacks too as parents all three of us being parents we know what the yep. drawbacks are so uh you know, it's a, it's a catch 22.
0: Brett, I got to ask you about your good friend, Edgar Martinez, who who got in the hall of fame just the other day as someone who who played with, uh, with him. You, you always told me, you said, this guy is a hall of famer. He just deserves a shot and don't look at him strictly as a DH. What did it feel like to see your good friend go in?
2: Oh, it was awesome. And I, I got a chance to talk to him real quick. And, uh, you know, we talked about it. We just kind of turned the clock back a little bit at some times that we had it and we were playing together and we laughed a lot. But I was really excited for him. Um, and, and I'm starting to look at it differently now, too. The DH, is a, it is a position. That's a position that's been carved out in Major League Baseball. You know, it's like a kicker. Can you get in as a kicker? Well, yeah, you're a big part of the team. Uh, the DH now is a big part of the team. I think what took Edgar a while is is if you look at the – Just the numbers. I think we're so trained over the years when we're looking at Hall of Fame. We have Matt, you know, my dad and myself were were talking about this on the way over. It's like we're so programmed to say, okay, 3,000 hits, uh, 500 homers for a pitcher, 300 wins. Uh, This is 2019. It's different now. So everybody was looking for those magic numbers from Edgar, the 3,000 hits, the 500 homers. He doesn't have that. But if you look deeper into what Edgar did – he was a 312 career hitter. Yeah. That's unheard of these days. I mean, I, I got, you know, I hit 300 a couple times. and Wow. I'd walk around all offseason, ask me what I hit last year, ask me what I hit. <laughs> this guy did it for his career. Yeah. Those are special players. When there's a three in front of your career average, when you played 18 years, you know, he's on base 420. If you're on base 400, that's all-star right there. He did it as a career. So, Edgar brought a lot to to the uh, table, and I think the numbers, I, he probably missed four years of his career uh, because of injury, you know, because they had that hamstring, that seemed like every year it would crop up on him. He'd miss six weeks. So, that's why I don't think you see the 3,000 hits, but he's got the two batting titles. He led the, uh, you know, the five or six Silver Sluggers, the seven All-Stars. Uh, this guy, I think more importantly than anything, uh, if you took a poll – from his peers, from our generation, and said, what do you think of Edgar Martinez? I think that the common answer would be he's one of the best hitters of our time. And that's just kind of common knowledge amongst the players, which to me are, are the most important guys.
0: You know, as a guy who covered Tony Gwynn for 10 years, Tony Gwynn used to say almost exactly what you said. He said, he's the American League version of me. And I think that's a tremendous compliment. You're talking about Tony with his eight batting titles, and we'd only see Edgar once in a blue moon when you know interleague and, and Seattle would come to San Diego, and he was always, uh, you know, over the top with compliments. He was with, one with of Edgar. the special
2: guys. He was he was the Manny Ramirez. I mean, he was that he was that good. Where you just watch him and be in awe, kind of, because he's right-handed. When you're left-handed, as a right-handed hitter, we're kind of. You know it's easier for the left-handed guys, so we don't we don't count them. But <laughs> we see a right-handed hitter hitting 355. You stop and you go, wow, this watch this guy hit. And just just like I said, the, the, you get the real information from the guys that play with him and play against him. It's like we've had a lot of talks about Barry Bonds. What's the common answer? It's the greatest hitter I've ever seen by far. And I think if you asked everybody from his generation, you're pretty much going to get the same answer. Same answer with Edgar. That's why he's a Hall of Famer, and I think uh pretty special day for him.
0: Bob, was there one player that you were with that you said, you know what, I'm glad that I shared a field with this guy, and I'm so pleased that he's a Hall of Famer?
1: There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. <clears throat> a lot of them, you know, when I look back on my gift uh, as playing a, having a long career is that uh, I got to play, and people ask me, who was – best player you played with. And <clears throat> for me, it's like, no, I, I went through an era of, in 20 years of, I got to play with so many great players. And and as a catcher, you really know who the great hitters are. You know, who's the guy that's, yeah. I can't get this guy out. I've tried everything. But, uh, you know, I got to play with Pete Rose and Rod Carew and Mike Schmidt and played against so many great players and great pitchers um, that – You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about Edgar, since we're bringing him up, and and, and Tony, is most of those guys were really class people. There were some that weren't, but most of them were really class people that you really respected, and they, they had a character about them that was special. In my job, in evaluating and teaching younger players, major league players, and, and interacting with them, you know, to me, something that's so important is character. And character at the end is what wins. And, and uh, you know, I would, I'd have to say all the Hall of Famers I know uh, had that character. They were there when it was on the line. They were there to beat you. They just weren't great players. They were there to beat you. And and uh, to me, that's one of the true joys that I experienced in my career, and, and there's so many of them. I I played against Willie Mays. Willie Mays was at the end of his career when I first came up. And to think I played with Willie Mays. Yeah. You know, and and McCovey and against them uh is is something that's very special to me and played against some younger guys and when Griffey was coming up and and uh so many guys that are in that category. I just look back and think I I always feel I was blessed that I get to play against so many of them. And for me, the only only thing I don't like about the Hall of Fame is that we're missing so many other great players. And in watching the news, they're talking about over the history of the game, there's only 1% of the players that played that are in the Hall of Fame. For me, my personal Hall of Fame would probably jack it up to five or six percent of the players because there were such great players that I played against and know they're great that are not in the Hall of Fame. So when I always look, I'm going, "Okay, we got three guys, we got four guys." The the uh, old age committee that put in some this year, uh, I think is fantastic because there's just there's so many that were great that should be honored with. Saying, "Hey, Bob Boone said this was a great player." You should,
2: and who else would you know better? And Dad, I want to know what is the old age committee? Dave, can you help me with that? <laughs> the, the, you mean the, is that the veteran, the team? veterans the committee, the old, the old age <laughs> committee? <laughs> that's, 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 there aren't any young ones that, on that, that thing. That, I that, tell you that—that's that, <laughs> the veterans committee.
0: I tell you what, Bob. As a baseball fan, I'm with you on that. I think the baseball Hall of Fame is too tough to get into. Whereas, if if and I understand, either you are a Hall of Famer or you aren't a Hall of Famer but I think it would be better for baseball if it was just a little bit easier for the fact that any time anyone get like the Mariners couldn't be more proud to have Edgar in this year. It's a huge thing for the organization. Absolutely. For the Padres last year to have Trevor, it's a huge thing for the organization. The Padres aren't gonna have another Hall of Famer for, who knows, 20, 30 years, the way it, <laughs> it is set up right now. To have more people in is better for the fan bases, for the organizations, for the the people have so many memories of what baseball is to families and and talking about the ultimate baseball family right here.
1: Well, I, what I would do, what I want to do personally is I want to create the second tier hall of famers, (laughs) the scrub hall of famers. (laughs) I want, I want, I want to have another one where we go, okay, you just been to the Hall of fame, come over to my hall of fame and we'll see the last, the three to 6% (laughs) and how great they were. I I think
2: Uh, you're going to see a change in how they vote for it over time think you're going to have enough of this. I think somehow, some way, uh, it could be 10, 20 years from now. It's going to be based on peers voting for peers. I think that's the best way I to do too. get the best players. Um, well, somehow you- come up with a committee from the time that that particular player, that's, that's up, uh, players from that generation on some sort of panel that vote. They're going to take – They're going to take the peers. And I don't think they should take the Hall of Famers vote because they don't want anybody else. (laughs) They don't. They don't. So they're not allowed to vote. Once you're in, you're done. The Hall of Famers are bitter as hell. But I think I've I've had, you know, and Dad's had them too at the end of the year. You know, all the awards come out. The gold gloves come out. You know, for a while it was the sports writers doing all the voting. Now they gave a little bit to the managers and the coaches. But we have our Players' Choice Award too. and, And those ballots get handed out at the end of the year. And I can speak, I can only speak for myself. I think dad could probably add to this, but I'll tell you what, when I, when I sat down and looked at that sheet, I took that sheet serious. And when I looked at, you know, the award in particular category, uh, you know, maybe that guy can't stand him. You know, I don't like the way he walks. I don't (laughs) like the way he talks, but I'll tell you what, when I look at that, That's as honest as I'm going to be and go, you know what? It doesn't matter. He deserves it. He earned it this year with how he played. I think players when they're by themselves with their ballot in front of them are as honest as you can be and have the most knowledge of what the pick should be. So I think it's one way or another. And I don't know if I'm smart enough to come up with that exact formula, but I think you should get the players from the generation that have a lot of experience against the, To be inducted Hall of Famer Those are the ones that should be making the decision Not somebody that You know and I'm not saying the the writers A lot of them do the best job they can But I'll guarantee you there's some bias in there There sure is I don't like how he handled My my questions after the game (laughs) What does that have to do with anything We've seen it before You're you're based on what you do on the field I don't care if you're a jerk you're a good guy We don't have to be friends after this is over Bottom line is Did you earn it on the field
1: Well, I I think there's ways of, uh, you know, now that we're changing the whole way of picking players, uh, is that there should be a percentage votes from everybody. I mean, this year, you know, something magical happened. A miracle happened. Rivera got all the votes, got 100% of the votes.
0: Did that surprise you that he was the first unanimous? And he but should have been. To be the first unanimous. I thought it would be Jeter. Be honestly, I thought Jeter would have been the guy. Well, How could you vote yeah, against I both. guarantee you, Jeter wanted to be the guy. How
1: did you vote against <laughs> Babe Ruth? <laughs> well, I, I agree with that 100%. Exactly. Because that well, goes back Bay, to but, the bias. But, but Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Ted Williams. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Tony it, it, Gwynn. Yep. How can you vote? How can somebody, somebody that didn't vote for that guy, exactly. was... Shouldn't have been voting. Exactly right. <laughs> you know, How do you did he not
2: vote 100 percent for Ken Griffey Jr.? I mean,
0: <laughs> very very strange. It, there is a the It's bias. almost
2: somebody saying, "I'm going to do it just because I don't want it to oh, be there's 100." There's
1: no question, but this well, is well, you, you, you can't have that. You can't have that. This you know, is the first year that yeah, that happened ever. It's unbelievable. I, that should be such a high honor for him to have been a good enough guy. Yeah, that all the writers said i mean you know in the past there's been no i'm not voting for him on the first ballot just because and and so so you know there's bias and all of that and i think for me uh i would like to somehow take the bias out of it and brett's talking about it uh you know talking about their character how the guy acted or he wouldn't do give me an interview so i'm not going to vote for him uh, i don't think that's that's right but i know it happened it, it happened for the, the all time through hall of famers and uh, and I also think, as I've said, I think there should be a way of more guys. You know, in football, they're bringing a bunch of guys, and yes. there's there's no limitations really, but um, at least that I think of. It. But I think there's there's certain year eras. I mean, we're going through an era now. The guys coming, we're are great players, and it's when you when you whack up the vote and you got to get seventy five percent of the vote, it's virtually impossible. Just number-wise,
0: couldn't agree more. To
1: get to get enough guys in there, and there's different eras. When maybe there should be ten guys into this. I mean, I look at people that I played against. They go, "Well, he's not in there," but he's you know. For me, Ted Simmons was in my era. Yeah, was as good as anybody. Yes, you don't and, see too many switch-hitting power-hitting power catchers. Well, I had to try to get him out. <laughs> you know, <and> I knew <laughs> yeah. who the guys were that were really tough. Yeah. And that, to me, those guys should be in the Hall of Fame and guys that were pitched, uh, uh, you know, it, it, pitching used to be more numbers. And and wins and losses, where wins are are kind of they're going to go by the wayside because uh, pitchers, it's really hard for them to pitch past seven innings now with the with the pitch counts, and so a lot of things in baseball have changed. But I I don't think the idea of when you have a lot of players in an era, they deserve it. They don't deserve. This area back yeah. here where there weren't as many great players, they can't help it. <laughs> and, uh, and I think we're getting more and more great players. And and I think the athleticism of the game has changed so much. You know, we have so many tremendous athletes that are that are baseball players that are doing great things. And I think it's more and more all the time.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's interesting. Just as you were talking and you bring up minor Rivera being unanimous, the first one, how about he was the last guy to wear jersey number 42? Yeah. I mean, it's retired yeah. in every ballpark. <laughs> really? And the first guy that's unanimous was the last guy to wear right. jersey jersey number 42. Two 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 quick things for you because as a baseball fan, I'll, i got to ask you guys a question. When you talk about interleague play, I'm one of these guys that, I, I, I like interleague play. I know a lot of people hate it. The only time the American League should play the National League is the All-Star Game in the World Series. My one suggestion, and, and I'll say it to you, Bob, because you still have a big voice in Major League Baseball. In interleague play, when an American League team comes to a National League city, that's when they should have the DH to show the National League what the DH is all about. And when the National League goes to the American League city, that's when they should have the pitcher bat to reverse it. We don't see any difference. you know. If you're going to bring an American League team here, then show us what American League baseball is all about. Let's see the DH in San Diego. And if the Padres go to Seattle, let's uh, let's show them what it looks like to play baseball with the pitcher in that ballpark.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think one of the tough things – is 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 when you hire somebody to be the dh that guy's a special dude he is there to drive and runs to hit 300 and when you're on an on a a national nationally team and you don't have that and you're playing that team your guy is a bench player yep he's an extra player so you're really going in handicapped uh, by having to face that DH in his lineup who's who's supposedly the best player or the best hitter in that team. And I think it has a big effect. It's tough. I think it's really tough doing that. The same way we're asking pitchers that never hit to go and play yeah. in the same. And, and for me, I'm not a fan of the interleague play. I'm not a fan because when I managed – that's a lot of more work yes. that you have to do because all of a sudden, gosh, I'm in the National League. I get to get these pitchers ready to hit or bunt. They, this guy's got, weeks ahead of time. Correct. This guy's got no chance of bunting. So you're yeah. you're adding a lot of things to your your program, and because you don't play them that often, you got to go through a lot of study to prepare for that team that you don't have to pare- prepare when you've played the Pittsburgh Pirates 13 times yeah. already. You know, everybody yeah. pretty knows it, so it's tougher for the manager uh, to prepare in those, and so that's why, personally, I don't, I don't care for it. <laughs> but I, but it's what, here, and, and we have uh, to deal with it. No David, question. David,
2: I think I, I've never heard that before brought up. I think it's actually a really good point from, from a, from fans a mar- point of view, from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, as a player, if we're being honest, as players. We don't want interleague play. We want to play the least amount of teams so we can be familiar with the pitchers, familiar with the pitchers as much as we can. But when you look at the game and f- what's good for the game, what's good for the fan base, what grows the game, what makes it the number one sport in the world, the fans. So we're catering to the fans. Do you think that I want to wear a bike? Do you think the managers want to be, you know, they're down seven to three in game six. Do you think they want to do an interview right now? No, but it's <laughs> the fans love it. Yep. Therefore, we do it, and the reason the game is <clears throat> what it is today, and the guys make the money they make, is because they're starting to do stuff like that. I think it's cool. I think it's cool when you're walking. I saw today on the uh, in the golf tournament, and they're walking down the fairway with Ricky Fowler, and they're interviewing him in the middle of the uh, of the. It wasn't a you know, it wasn't a charity event. This is a real tournament, yes. day one, and they're starting to bring that into golf. This is turning into a fan's world. And with the prices they're they're paying and the prices that the athletes are making, I think I think each and every one should be willing to bend over backwards to do everything that is fan friendly and for the fans because it, that's what it's all about. If you, and the more you have, the greater your game is. So I, I think that's actually a great point. Yeah, and and it is it's it's the game is about the fans. As
1: players, we tend to think no, it's about the players. Yes, but it, it's about the fans, and I think. The one of the things that the commissioner's office has done, and starting with Bud Selig, uh, is they really started going, wait, this is about the fans, because our lives depend on fans coming to the ballpark. And without that, we're dead. And I think they've really brought that to the players, that players are starting to understand that and, and can't run away from an interview or can't. You know, when the game's over, they're going to be interviewed exactly. on the field for the fans. And I think the current players are understanding that. And I think it's something in my era probably didn't understand that. But that it that's what it's all about. And we need those people in the seats.
0: I love how uh, Brett has explained how it works on. He had certain days where he knew he was going to take time to sign whatever for the fans. And mm-hmm. for the fans, it's everything. I mean, you talk about going to a game as a kid who, who didn't have a family involved in Major League Baseball, but... You know, your dad would buy two tickets to see the Dodgers are going to play the Reds on this date and he'd stick those tickets on the refrigerator and you'd count down going, <laughs> I'm going to the Reds game in two weeks. And you would tell everybody right. it, was a, it was a big deal. But le- right. yet, let alone if all of a sudden Brett Boone signed a baseball for me, I didn't see that coming, but I'm never going to forget it the rest of my life. And for for Brett, it, it's two seconds out of your life. And you don't know, you're signing a million things. But for that kid, he will remember that story and he will tell his son and it goes on and on. And that's why the big game is so great and so different from the other ones.
1: Well, I, and I think older players uh, understood that. Some of them didn't. Some, some were, were uh, kind of crass about it. But I think we, I say we in my era, we understood that. And, and we, you were getting them. If you tried to go to your car after the game, you couldn't just run through it you had to sign and and you did it because you know especially i've gotten letters from people that that were so appreciative and and i had no idea what this meant to them at that point in their lives yep. and when you do that and i think most players understand that that uh, and there were some that di- didn't or refused to do it but i think in in my era most players understood that and and nowadays certainly it's getting better and better, I think.
0: All right, last question because we've been we've been talking for about an hour. I've enjoyed every minute of it. But uh, l- last question, Bob, be as honest as you can. Twenty nineteen World Series, New York Yankees are playing the Washington Nationals. Who are you rooting for? Washington
1: Nationals. Oh
0: my gosh, are you crazy? Is your kid? <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> my wife. will Yeah, be well, po- your wife will, will say move well, out. Well, I'll tell you what happens every day when I'm not on the road. When I'm home. I watch every game. Yes. I watch every game of the Nationals. When I'm in the stands, I'll watch it on my iPad. Or Dave. My phone. Dave.
2: If the Nationals lose, his share is smaller.
0: <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> the ring doesn't look the I'm same. I'm in the front. Come on, I don't know Aaron's going to trash talk him when now. he him his ring. Yeah. yeah. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm working this game. He's to already get, got, to get got another, a ring. I want yeah. another one, and that's where I'm hanging on with oh your life. But <laughs> in, in my house, when I'm home, and it, we're in the West Coast. Yeah. So the Yankees and the and the Nationals will play at the same time and it's four o'clock on the West Coast. So Sue and I will will kind of plan our day around it and have dinner before or whatever, because the game's coming on and Sue will say, Well the game's almost I said, No, I know, turn it on and she'll turn on the Yankees. I said, What are you doing? <laughs> I said, our team is the Washington Nationals. Aaron's team is the Yankees. But go upstairs and pull one of those checks out and see what names (laughs) we are pulling officially pulling for Washington and I'm going to stay down here and watch Washington now and both of them are taped so we end up watching both of them but if you want to watch it live go upstairs to watch Aaron I said, what are you going to watch the Yankees for I said what are you going to see the camera shift through the dugout one time and you'll see Aaron standing there I said no we're the Washington Nationals so so I want them to do great I want it to be that this year
0: That's amazing. Brett, who are you rooting for, your dad or your brother?
2: (coughs) Uh, I would have to. Well, because Aaron's in the managerial. I I don't think I'd be rooting for either. I'd be happy for either. Would you watch? Would it be too tough Uh, to watch? uh, No. I'm not not sentimental like that, Dave. (laughs) I would have no problem watching. Uh, I wouldn't pull for either one of them. And in the end, I would be happy for both of them for getting there, but a little happier for the... Okay, won. so who? I, I don't think. Which
0: I, call would you make first to the winner or the loser?
2: Oh, I'd probably be watching the game. No, no, he'd be. It's, he'd be. He'd be at the. He'd be at the game. I, I would call the winner. You'd be at the game I'd too. Call, no, I'd call the winner, of course. Okay, you'd be at the game though too. What am I watching? <laughs> what are you talking? What, what am, am I going to watch? My brother manage or my dad general manage? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is no fun, Dave. <laughs> that <laughs> is not fun <laughs> hey did you see the way aaron spit that seed out he's doing really good tonight that mom would... <laughs> but my mom would notice stuff like that you know i i, yeah. I don't get into that I, I go to the game to say i went to the game and i was supportive <laughs> basically i'm there to give my brother a hug because i only get to see him a couple well times i know a your year. mom's rooting
0: for the yankees i
2: can oh, tell yeah. <laughs> well it's her son it's her, it's her of baby boy but i of course i, I think but we're... remember david Aaron's check does not go to mom's house. Dad's does. So she might want to read she might want to listen to this and think about
1: it. Well, well, there's a lot of caring and I think, you know, I know Brett watches the game in the same way I watch it. I watch it watching players. I mean when somebody makes a great play, either side, it's like that was a great play And that killed him. That that, you know, he took that double away from from them and, and to me I appreciate that. I hate it when it's against my team, but it happens, and yep. I and and I'm appreciative when when people make great plays, and this and this and vice versa, when they don't do it right. I always used to tell my wife, I said one of the things, Aaron was, I thought was a great announcer with ESPN, and Aaron has the ability, and he always has of of having relationships with people. He's tremendous at it, and and he was I thought he was tremendous in the booth. What he could do is tell it like it is without ripping somebody. Yeah, I if I'm in the booth, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be saying, well, this is the big leagues. You at second base, you got to make that play. They've got to turn that double play. It's just, hey, if I'm in the minor leagues, I'm having a meeting with that guy after the game to say, look, you 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 weren't alert on that play. You've got to make that play. You want to play in the big leagues? You have to make that play. And so I'm I'm much more critical. Yeah. of plays that happen or swings or at bats. And so I watch it, I, I watch games with a different eye. And uh, when we don't do it right, I usually get upset. <laughs> when I'm, we do I'm it right, you. I'm really excited. Uh, but I watch both teams the same way when I watch all the games that I watch is I'm kind of analyzing everybody at the same time.
0: I'm with you on that one. I tell you, as, as, Again, from a baseball fan, it's a beautiful game when it's played clean. And when it's not played clean, it's, it's a little disappointing because we've seen the greats do it, and we know exactly how the way it's supposed to be done.
1: And I think as you get older uh, or play from a, in a different era, uh, we were pounded on. You, you, could, you didn't stay in the big leagues if you couldn't make the plays the correct way. Now we got to get kids here that are so talented that are, that are coming up that don't have the agilities or the, or the way to play third base. Or second base. I know Brett and I talk about it all the time. Brett will see him not turn a double play. And he'll be upset with that. I'll see a catcher not block a ball. And I'll just look at it and say, you have to block that ball. Something was going on in your head that didn't allow you to block that ball. And uh, I think think that's, you know, it's one of the things that make the game so great for me. And having seen so much of it that uh, that makes it really interesting to me. So it's it's something that I probably watch the games with a little different eye than most people.
0: This has been a lot of fun. Bob, I really appreciate you coming in, and Brett, it's always great. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> it's you been guys. a
1: joy just to be with you guys and, and to, to get a little feeling of what Brett's like. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, Dave. Thank you.
3: My lady come come my lady give my butterfly sugar baby Day. Come, come, my lady, you're my butterfly Sugar, baby Such a sexy, sexy, pretty little thing this April, bitch, you got me sprung with your tongue ring And I ain't gonna lie, cause your loving gets me high So to keep you by my side, there's nothing that I won't try Butterflies in her eyes and her looks to kill Time is passing, I'm asking, could this be real? Cause I can't sleep, I can't hold still The only thing I really know is she got sex appeal I can feel Too much is never enough You always there to lift me up when these times get rough I was lost, now I'm bound ever since you've been around You're the woman that you an essence some kind of hidden essence to show me life is precious and i guess it's true but to tell the truth i really never knew <laughs> till i'm Til you see i was lost and confused twisted and used so i knew a better life existed but thought that i missed my my shot wow i was living like a wild child trapped on a short leash parole to police files so yo what's happening now i see the sun breaking down into dark clouds and a vision of you standing out in the crowd so come Come my lady, come come my lady You're my butterfly, sugar baby Come my lady, you're my pretty baby me you will make you electric to make me go crazy. crazy Come and dance with me come and